place it comfortably. Third day of session. I can see the <coughs> detox is working. Uh, when I am reflecting on um, what to talk about as a Dharma talk, um, I, I go through this process where I have to kind of allow something to come up inside of me that's important to talk about or feels important to me to talk about. So it has to be something that's got some juice in it. I find it very difficult to just talk about something that's intellectually dry. And um, when I was reflecting where the juice was this morning, I, I was reflecting on how um, what I've been, what's been emerging for me during this session in terms of a feeling coming up and something that it's kind of distracting that I have to keep working to be present against, is that I'm, I'm actually at the moment very angry. And, um, and what I'm angry about is a, a local government matter, which I might have spoken to a couple of about, which is where our, our local uh, park is being, um, uh, there's a proposal to put a huge artificial grass concrete slab and artificial grass on it and for the, for the sake of organised sport and at the expense of everyone else who uses this lovely harbourside park for other more contemplative recreational activities or, you know, playing, playing families, playing and picnics and so on. And, um, and the council's been um, far from um, uh, transparent in their consultation with the, with the neighbourhood as a way of just trying to ram it through. And I'm actually quite comfortable with my anger and um, I, I don't have a conflict with it. Um, and it seems like the same kind of anger that a mother would have towards protecting her child. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that if you can get a sense of it or a father would have towards protecting their child. So I'm, I'm not talking about it in the sense that I feel um, that the way I'm expressing my anger, or hopefully the way that I that it comes out, it, it, that I have a problem with it. This is just part of anger and, and conflict as part of human experience. I don't want to keep talking about that issue. I'm just telling you where where it's coming from. But what I do want to talk about is um, what I'm referring to in this talk, or the name of this talk, is interpersonal dharma. You know, working with conflict. Because um, conflict is just a part of life. And when we come to a retreat like this, a meditation intensive like a session, um, it's structured in a way and the practice is done in such a way that we all know what to do and we go ahead and do it. And we, there's no conflict or we minimise conflict. And, uh, and the whole point of it is to, there's no talking we're minimising interaction, so everyone just gets a chance to be out of the interpersonal sphere, at least the verbal one anyway, for a while, and just focus on, on being present. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we all know, as you do that practice, there's a kind of calming process occurs. And we feel like we're in a, in a kind of a, a blissful, healthily vulnerable little community here. Mm. Um, but as some of you have been talking about me with interviews, 
um, you, you leave this little oasis here and you go back into the world and you will go back into the world of conflict in one form or another whether it's in, in your own relationships, in your own marriages or relationships or family or extended family or politically or at work or whatever, if I was a betting man I would suggest you'll go back into conflict at one point or another when you, when you leave here, somewhere along the line. And um, if you practice something like this, which is about, you know, finding where your equanimity and your peace is and your compassion, sometimes it can really jar, do you know, to come out of an experience like this and then, and then be suddenly confronted in a world um, that's uh, conflictual. Mm -hmm. People have other strongly held views and interests which are different to your own. Um, and you have to manage it in some way. Mm -hmm. But the, the first point I want to make, even if I'm labouring it, is it's a fact of life that there is conflict. Mm -hmm. And if there's a, that's life as it is. You know? And um, nirvana is not some, what we're seeking for in practice, some kind of awakening, is not a nirvana which is separate from samsara. You know, it's a nirvana within the, within the midst of samsara. It's the absolute within the relative. So therefore, it is going to be finding equanimity within the midst of conflict. Mm -hmm. Not pretending that somehow you're going to live a life that will be conflict-free. You might be conflict-free from within yourself, but the environment you're going to live in, I think is extremely unlikely that it will be conflict-free. And so, if we don't accept that, um, we're, 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 out, we're out of sorts right from the very beginning. We've got some kind of ideal of utopia of how it should be, and that's what we're clinging to, some kind of idealism. We, we, we won't deal with conflict very well when it comes up. We'll be at sixes and sevens. Mm -hmm. So that's the first point, is that we really need to accept that it's there. Mm -hmm. Not always, of course. And of course a lot of, a lot of conflict is creative and a lot of conflict gets resolved. But the fact is that it's there. Mm -hmm. And if we're not prepared to meet it, then you can go out of a retreat like this or a session like this and, and um, uh, just simply uh, not prepared to deal with it. And so react, old reactivity sets in again. Um, People deal with conflict in many different kind of ways and if we use our grasping aversion apathy model, you know, again, some people on, can, can be sort of prone to be on, on the grasping side is that they tend to be um, complainants all the time, always on complaining or always carping or always looking for fault or whatever. Um, whether it's in the in the domestic sphere or the or the public sphere, and, and there's this kind of a having to in a kind of a grasping, having to get things my way all the time. We can we can err on that side, or 
we can be on the avoidance side. You know, and that's where our tendency tends to be that we avoid conflict, doesn't want anything to do, just peace at any price. Mm-hmm. Always apologise, even if it's not your, your fault. Mm-hmm. Always smile, you know. Just avoid conflict at any, any cost. We can err on that side as well. Or we can err on the side which is kind of similar to that, where we're, we're just apathetic. Like, it, and most people in political life are apathetic. Mm-hmm. You get, you get some people who are the aggressors, you know, and the avoiders, but the vast majority of people tend to be in, in apathy um, about suffering and distress that goes on in the world because they're absorbed in their own self-interest. It's not, not looking at the wider picture of what's happening. Um, and, uh, of course, in, in part of the job I do is, is perhaps in some of the jobs you do, you, you come across conflict. And um, in my work in particular, doing a lot of couple therapy, part of my everyday life is dealing with couples in conflict. Uh-huh. That's the bread and butter of my, of my working life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm there with it all the time, not necessarily being directed at me, um, but trying to find couples find a way through conflict to successful conflict resolution. And um, at, at that interpersonal level, um, some of the research they've done into relationships is very, very um, significant here. And I think it, it really becomes the basis of Dharma practice in relationships. Um, but you may have heard me mention it before, I think I talked about in a talk a few years ago. Um, there's one particular um, couple therapist called John Gottman, who's from California, um, who's written about what makes relationships work and what doesn't from a very empirical point of view. And um, he has identified four patterns which are destructive to relationships and he refers to them so you won't forget them as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. (laughs) Um, Driving you to destruction. And they kind of fit into that grasping aversion type of pattern as well, in my mind. Because on one side you've got criticising and then contempt. They're all sort of on the aggression, anger, attack side. And then the other side you've got defensiveness, like knee-jerk defensiveness and stonewalling. You know, stonewalling being that, that I'm just not even going to talk to you, I'm just going to ignore you. Mm-hmm. Not even engage in conflict resolution or listen to you. And um, uh, they're kind of like the two sides of the fight-flight mechanism. You know, one's a kind of a angry response, fighting response, one's a kind of defensive withdrawn response. Um, but it becomes clear from the research that if we're engaged in any of those patterns, and it's worthwhile from a Dharma point of view, so I'm calling it interpersonal Dharma, just as we use thought labeling, thought labeling to identify our inner fixed beliefs and thoughts and so on, it could be useful to, to label our interpersonal pattern. It's the same process. Only you're looking at it more externally. And um, painful as it may be to acknowledge these things, you know, some unpleasant truths, it's important to recognise what 
what are those patterns we're caught up in? What's the predominant one? Maybe we do a bit of each of those at some time, but usually some person has a predominant pattern. Certainly in, um, when I'm working with couples, you see a, a pattern occurring that sort of solidifies into a polarity. One person's a complainer, one person's a stonewaller. As the stonewaller stonewalls, the complainer gets more angry and complains more. Mm -hmm. And round and round it goes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what happens um, in relationships. And to bring it back to practice, being able to just objectively label what it is you're actually doing in the middle of the conflict and identify it, and maybe even have the courage to share that with your partner, mm -hmm. could be the beginning of some kind of um, more effective path towards conflict resolution. In the work that I do in, in couples therapy, it, to boil it down to its simplest um, uh, dynamics, most people come in to couple therapy because um, they're in conflict, it's unresolved, and in some way they're blaming the other person. They're each It's like a mutual blame, it's a blame game, it's a mutual blame situation. If only you stop doing that it'll be okay, if only if you stop doing that it'll be okay. And there's not a full taking responsibility for each person's part in the pattern. And I see my job as simply, um, and this is where it's all uphill, mm -hmm. my job is to try and get both people to see what their own pattern is in the relationship and take responsibility for it and have insight into it in a non-judgmental way. And if you can get both people in their, their little crucible like that, dealing with a the conflict, then it's all downhill from there. It's like they're, they're more than 50% there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a real struggle when couples um, are just caught in the mutual blame game and projecting on one another. It's like it just goes round and round and round and round. And one of the things I find myself doing more uh, forcefully, um, maybe it's forcefully, firmly, um, in sessions, I, I, all kind of sessions with couples involve some degree of venting. You know, people have to be emotional to some degree and vent that. But if that all if that's all the sessions become, um, you know, then my job is to really create a really good firm container so that we the, re the reactivity needs to be contained rather than just acted out. So people then can have a chance to examine what's happening. That's what we actually do individually on our cushions here, and it's kind of just applying it in that, in that couple therapy context. Some of the ways we pe people deal with conflict, one is to create it all the time, because some people like the drama of it. Mm -hmm. um, one is to avoid it, and one, a very popular one, just to identify it, is to go sideways. You know, and that's what gossip is. And um, gossip is really, really um, corrosive in in organisations, in workplaces, etc. And really, what the dynamics of gossip is, 
is it's when two people have something that they can't talk about with one another and so they divert and they bring in a third person or third persons into it. So it's too hard to deal with it here, like the tension's too much. So I'll just divert it over there. And then it leads to critical comments about other people and so on that you can't actually address directly with them. Um, the other day I was playing around, playing around with a few ideas and um, looking at how you could um, frame some of the um, Zen precepts in terms of um, psychiatric disorders. <laughs> and I came up for one for gossip, um, which is to do with, you know, not right speech and so on, which is um, interpersonal passive aggressive disorder. <laughs> and the acronym is iPad. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what it is. It's kind of gossip is a kind of passive aggressiveness. It's like I, I'm too anxious or I'm too angry or whatever to actually deal with what I've got to deal with with you and me. So I go sideways to deal with it in a way which is aggressive, you know, which can be very corrosive. So the practice there, you know, to bring Zen training to it is to not avoid conflict so that it goes down these kind of insidious pathways, you know, to be willing to address it. And bringing, dealing with conflict is very different from criticising contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling. There's nothing wrong in a relationship bringing up an issue. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, people will have differences, issues have to be dealt with. Um, it's the how of it, um, not the fact that we have issues to deal with. Surely if you get any two people living together for a long period of time or even a short period of time, they'll never want the same thing at the same time. So therefore, differences arise. One of the ways people deal with um, conflict too and the emotions that arise out of it, and I actually think a lot of Buddhists do this, is that they, they deny the anger, they pretend that the anger is not there, they pretend the conflict is not there, and they're just sort of polite, you know, and humble, and so on. And it's good to be humble, and it's good to be polite, um, but when it's in the service of actually suppressing emotion, it doesn't, not, not skillful, really. Mm -hmm. not skillful and so you can turn Buddhism into an ideal that you're a person who has no anger and you don't have any conflict and so on um, but is that true or not mm -hmm. and um, do we really need to get beyond our identities of who we think we are or what we would like to be our, our ideals, that kind of identification of what is me. And through the process of meditation, just be willing to be mindful of and be present to the good, the bad and the ugly. You know, that's, that's what we do all the time, in a non-judgmental way and in a compassionate way that we might be angry or fearful or whatever. That's the way of our practice, as you know that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's about being emotionally honest about 
where you are, and if that includes anger, and it includes anger around some kind of conflict, well then, then so be it. That's not the problem. The problem is how we express the anger. And um, in the work that I do, and some of the work that some of you touch on as well, around domestic violence, you know, domestic violence in a sense deals with the, those aspects of kind of abuse which are illegal, like the more extreme forms, like physical hitting, threatening to hit, you know, physical violence, verbal abuse, you know, really gross forms of control. But when you look at it through a Dharma lens, um, we're all somewhere on the spectrum of domestic violence. You know, it's not as though there's the ones who black and white, the ones who are and the ones who aren't, because we're all probably guilty of sarcasm, you know, losing our anger in a way which is, you know, harsh. Mm -hmm. um, being aggressive in our speech in some kind of way. None of us are perfect. Um, so when you think of it as a spectrum, um, we're all there somewhere. And from a Dharma point of view, it's not just eliminating the more grosser things like you know, physical violence or verbal abuse. It can also be looking at the more um, subtle aspects you know, of harm that can come through being sarcastic, for instance. You know, using harsh words, um, um, haranguing, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't actually get onto the, the scale of domestic violence, but they're on the spectrum of harming somewhere along the line. And our, our practice is, is to refine that. And the paradox is, is to be able to refine it without suppressing anger, without pretending that you're not angry. The easy, the easy thing to deal with anger is just to suppress it. The real skill in dealing with anger, as it's described in some Dharma books, like in the more tantric approaches of Tibetan Buddhism, the metaphor that's used is riding the tiger. Mm -hmm. Not tranquilizing the tiger, riding the tiger. Mm -hmm. So the anger is there as an energy, but you're going to be trying to use it in a skillful way. Hopefully I'll do that next Wednesday when I have my say at this meeting at the council. In, um, so the key to this, in, in terms of dealing with conflict and the conflict that we will, we will inevitably face when we leave here somewhere along the line, is, is the cultivation of equanimity. And I was mentioning the other day, equanimity is not just an endorphin high. Equanimity is about being one with your circumstances, whatever they might be. And in Tibetan Buddhism, they have this word um, shenpa, which means to be hooked. And the practice is, you know, to, to really engage in, in looking at where you get hooked. Where are your hooks? Mm -hmm. Where, where, what are the vulnerabilities that we have within us? You know, when someone says something, a particular word or, or a particular look, we're, we're hooked. You, we all know the feeling of being hooked. It's like that contraction. It's like, I'm exaggerating. It's kind of like there's a, little, it's a contraction inside, you know, and off we go. So that's part of practice, to actually um, 
enjoy the search towards finding out where your shempas are, where your hooks are, so you can identify them, so that you can become unhooked. In other words, to use English language, it's about learning, at the, learning to see the vulnerable places where we're reactive, and instead of reacting, um, to respond. The way, of course, that we um, we develop equanimity is simply through the, the process we're going through here where we're identifying the grasping dynamics within ourselves, the aversion dynamics and the apathy dynamic. And the more we see those, the more the more we create a kind of groundedness within ourselves that we operate from, like a centeredness within the self that we operate from. If you go into conflict um, grasping for outcomes and some sense of this is the way it should be and you know how dare they not hear my voice and so on and then you go into an outrage, well it's, that's not going to be very effective for yourself or for and it would disempower yourself anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like there's got to be this process of having, having an intention and an aim, like for me in this thing is to save a um, a beautiful natural path. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's the, the grasping at the outcome, somehow that makes me more agitated. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I tend to be, if anything, in all of this spectrum, a conflict avoidant person, so it's not easy for me to, to deal with this stuff. You know? But avoiding is just to go, oh well, maybe they know best. You know, they're the elected representatives, so oh, we'll just let them, no, I don't want to, you know, I want a peaceful life, you know, go that way, you know. Or just plain apathy, like don't care, don't want to know, don't want even want to know any information about it. Mm -hmm. Just don't want to know about it. That's, they're the things that we can fall into. And the more we really honestly do our practice and notice those patterns and the more all of those things fall away, including the, the aversion to conflict, then the stronger and the clearer that we'll, we'll, we'll become you know, in having to deal with conflict. And in dealing with conflict, sometimes we have to be assertive mm -hmm. and on the front foot. And sometimes we need to be humble and surrendering because we've found that we've actually got something wrong. Mm -hmm. And if there's not a fixation on one or other of those, then we move fluidly between those different positions. Um, but if we've always got to be right, you know, or we always think we're wrong, um, they're, they're fixed, rigid positions, and they, they have to break down as well. So, you will need conflict um, when, you, when you leave here, somewhere along the line. Mm -hmm. And it'll be a challenge, you know, in terms of then how you use this practice to, to meet it when it comes. Mm -hmm. um, be prepared for it. Don't, I mean, in the sense of don't go around um, like some martial artist people do, like almost kind of wearing body armour all the time, ready to fight someone. I don't mean like that. 
<coughs> the best martial artists, I'm told, are people who just relax when they go around just enjoying their life. And whenever they have to deal with something, then they're, they're on guard, you know, they're in mode. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not suggesting you go around with your body armour on when you leave here. Be relaxed, but it, but you, it's like there's that preparedness that if conflict comes, you can you're there to meet it. Mm -hmm. We live in an in, in an increasingly um, uh, narcissistic world, uh, at least in our cultures anyway. A book I read recently called "The Narcissism Epidemic," and what goes along with this kind of disease is um, everyone has a greater sense of entitlement. The more, the more our culture seems to develop, the more everyone seems to have a greater sense of entitlement, including us. We're not, we're not um, outside of it, even though we're trying to work to reduce it. Everyone has a greater sense of entitlement. And so the more everyone has a greater sense of entitlement and self-centeredness, then um, the more conflict arises. Mm -hmm. That's my thesis as to why there are divorce rates going on. Yeah. Um, so that's the world we live in. And our practice is to um, live in a world where we're examining our self-centeredness and yet at the same time to be aware of the bigger picture and be informed by interbeing and, um, and to be making decisions, you know, or supporting decisions that, that are for the benefit of most people or everyone rather than special interest groups. <clears throat>